um, this morning. Uh, second to the last week of our series, so what's next? What happens after you believe, right? We've just been kind of looking at some steps that y'all can take, some very deliberate steps that you can take to become more Christ-like. Really, that's what, that's what God wants for us, that we would reflect his son. Um, and by doing so, we would reflect him in his glory. Um, and people wouldn't be enthralled with us, but they would be enthralled with, with God. That, that, that's kind of the whole point of everything. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to really just describe a servant's heart today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to describe it biblically. Um, that might surprise a few of you what, what, what God's word says about a servant's heart. Um, and then I'm going to ask you, do you have a servant's heart? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you even to tell the person next to you how you scored. This is between you and God's spirit, right? So I'm going to ask you throughout this message, um, how are you doing? Give yourself a score. You can do one through ten, or you can give yourself letter grades if you're all enthralled with school grades. Give yourself an F or an A, you know. I passed. Woo! All right, and again, this won't be a pass-fail test. It's a kind of a litmus test. You all remember litmus tests that were, that were shades along. And, and what I want to do is kind of, I want you to identify where you are on that scale of, of, a, of a cold heart and a servant's heart, where you are and, and where you want to be, right? This, is, this will be kind of uh, the, the point of today's message. And again, many of you are going to fight this because it is a sliding scale. And, and you're, you're going to kind of feel okay and you'll rationalize, I, I'm okay because I'm on the scale, right? I'm not at a zero. I'm, I'm a solid five, Woo-hoo. right? And, and so again, don't raise your hand. Don't call out your number. Uh, this is between, between you and God. Um, again, don't fight it. Confess it. Because my goal today is to shake up some of you. To, to, and I'm not doing it just, just to be a jerk. I, I, God's word says some things that we need to listen to, and they are a little jarring sometimes. So that some of you will feel jarred today. But, but listen, you can go one of two ways with the message. You can rationalize and say, I'm okay. Or you can confess and say, you know what? There's some areas. And if I'm really, really honest, they're kind of ugly. Um, and I need to give them to God. Um, because they're not helping anybody. So last week in my Sunday school class, this is total happenstance. No, this is the Holy Spirit. All right. That's what that is. Um, last week in, the, in our Sunday school class, we're talking about prejudice. And, uh, and I put a bunch of photos on the board that would trigger responses that people in American culture anyway are traditionally prejudiced towards. Right? I put a really rich person, and I put a homeless person, and I, you know, di- different images and, and kind of asked them how they felt. Did, did, did anything inside them say, ooh, or did, was their heart cold or, or, or warm when they looked at this, this image? And the surprising thing, I'm going to show you this, two, two got the, by far the biggest response, right there they are. By far the biggest response of all the stuff we talked about, foreigners and the whole LGBTQ, and I think there's a few other letters, that, that whole thing, I don't want to downplay, I don't want to make fun of it, those, that strong reactions, and I started thinking about it, and not only was it the strongest reactions to our class, these two, but these two groups of people probably have the strongest reaction to us, not, not only Christians, but American Christians, we think we're prejudiced. We, we're all prejudiced. We all got to work on this. And what I also thought about these two things is you can't get any more different. Really, most often we're prejudiced toward things that we don't understand. Therefore, we fear them. And then we have a prejudice against them. It's just this ugly kind of human thing that happens to us. Something we don't understand. Therefore, we fear it. And eventually, we hate it. 
because it brings up these ugly feelings in us and we don't even understand it and we, we, we arrive at this place. And you think about these two words, that first one, that is so personal. I mean, that goes to who I am, my gender, my, my, my sexual identity. That, that's just so close to home. And, and then the foreigners, that, that's everything else. Color skin, habits, lifestyle choices, preferences, comfort levels, status symbols. I mean, the whole nine yards, foreigner kind of covers it all. And I recognize last week in Sunday school class, these two elicited a lot of strong feelings. Very, very, I mean, you get that. I'm guessing a lot of you just sitting there, you, there a lot of things are going through your head. So, and I, I'm prepping for this message um, called A Servant's Heart, and um, I, I naturally go to the 10th chapter of John. If any of you all know the 10th chapter of John, the Good Shepherd, right? The Servant's Heart. I mean, if, if you want to read a chapter in the Bible about what a servant's heart looks like, chapter 10 of John. So, in my mind, well, that's where I'm going to start my study for this passage, for this message. And so I'm in chapter 10 of John, and there's a lot of talk about sheep and shepherds and gates and gatekeepers and sheep pens and good shepherds and bad shepherds. And and eventually you find out um, throughout chapter 10 that Jesus is kind of doing a compare and a contrast, right? There's bad gates and there's bad gatekeepers and there's bad shepherds and there's good gates and there's good gatekeepers and there's good shepherds. The Pharisees who are sitting there listening to this discussion, they didn't get it real quick, but Jesus was implying that they were bad gates, that they were bad gatekeepers, and that they were bad shepherds. And if you read to the end of chapter 10, you find out that this was so, this was such a big deal that they were ready to pick up rocks and kill the man. They were, this, this set them off. Why is this, why, why, why did this make everybody so upset because in the old testament god is pictured as a shepherd and his people the sheep check this out i'm just going to throw up three of them hit that next slide there Um, the lord is my shepherd i shall not want i shall not have any needs right psalm chapter 23 Um, he is our god and we are the people of his pastor the sheep of his hand and probably the most famous one we are his people the sheep of his pasture and so if you're a leader of israel and and you're called a bad shepherd you're this is a huge huge insult because they want to live up to this right they want to live up to this this is incredible picture and they were well aware of these passages right now what really got them is not so much these passages, but there are also a bunch of passages in which the shepherd, in which the, the government, the theocracy, the leaders of the people are pictured as shepherd. Not just God, but the leaders of the people. And these Pharisees knew these passages, right? Let me just, let me just show you one. This is in Jeremiah chapter 23. There's just one example, and there's a whole bunch of them. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And again, so it's easy to see why the Pharisees are getting so upset because in this chapter 10 of John, Jesus is calling them bad shepherds. And, and, and that, just, that just strikes to their heart, their, their, their very identity as leaders of the people. But by the time, again, they realized what Jesus said, he had slipped away. But again, right in the middle of this comparing, contrasting good and bad gates and good and bad gatekeepers and good and bad uh, shepherds, he says this, I'm going to start in verse um, 11. And if you're, you're new with us here, this is my introduction. <laughs> um, I'll only go for just about 15 minutes here, and then we're going to do some worship. We're going to sing some more songs, and I'm going to come back and, and really lay it on you. Um, but, but the idea here is <laughs> I, um, I'll sit down in just a few minutes, and the reason I do this is I want God's spirit to, to work with you. I want to... <sighs> 
I want to shut up for a few minutes. That's very hard for me to do. Um, and, and, and God will... Sp- God will speak to you, and you'll be speaking to him as you sing. And that's why I really encourage you to sing, because you're speaking to God. as, as that's, a, that's a form of testimony. It's a form of um, acknowledging him and, and honoring him and singing praises about him, verb, verbalizing um, these things. Uh, and that's just to kind of give you a head up. So let, let, me, let me continue here. This is the introduction. Just make sure you're all aware of that. Um, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering. And you'll notice throughout the New Testament, Old Testament, scattering is a bad thing. Right? Normally, God sends out and he, and, he, and he brings back in. He breathes us out and he breathes us back in. Right? He sends out the people um, to, to heal and he, and he brings them back in for healing. He sent people out from Israel all over the world and eventually uh, Revelation tells us that we'll all be coming back. Right? So there's, there's, there's always sending out and coming back in. And in this passage, scattering is not the way God likes to send out. Scattering is like, remember the vision, the, the wild hair, everyone going in all different directions? That, that's kind of the picture. That's not a good sending out, right? That's a bomb going off in the church and everybody flying in a different direction. Not a good thing, right? So whenever you see scattering, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pastor. And again, right in the middle, verse 10, I'm going to start with verse 11, excuse me. He says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking through the apostle John. John records it in John's gospel. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So two things very quickly you need to understand. The shepherd owns the sheep and will die for the sheep. The hired hand has no stake in the sheep. That's probably not the right word. Has no mutton in the sheep? No. He has no, he doesn't care. And another passage says, we're going to find out he doesn't love the sheep. Who loves sheep? We're going to find out. Hold on. So the hired hand, he, he, he doesn't care, right? You know, sheep, uh, paycheck, uh, my life, eh. <laughs> uh, sheep, you lose. Um, now, understand something. Uh, in this part of the world, the, the, they weren't raised for meat. More often than not, by far, the, the, the pattern was they were raised for their wool. So these were kept year after year after year after year, and the shepherd got to know them. The shepherd got to know them um, by name. Years and years. In fact, they would name them brown legs, floppy ears, little kicker, you know. They, they would have these names. They, would, they got to know them, and they were very descriptive names. The shepherd didn't know them as a group. He knew them individually. He knew them by name. This is verse 12 and 13. So when the hired hand, he, the hired hand, sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and what? This is bad. Scatters it. And the man runs away, the hired hand. The stranger runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But again, another, passage, another translation says, because he doesn't love the sheep. And as Jesus continues to speak, you know the, the Pharisees are adding things up, right? He's, he's talking about us, right? And they, they, they got to be getting just a, li- a little bit steam, right? The hired hand, he's talking about us. He doesn't love the sheep. We, what do you mean we don't love Israel? Literally, that's what Jesus is saying. You Pharisees don't love Israel. You love yourselves more than Israel, Right? So, uh, verse 14, 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know my father, the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. When Jesus says that, I lay down my life for the sheep. At one point, if you were from that culture, you would have seen a picture of Jesus laying down across the opening of a sheep pen. He was literally saying early on, as I am the gate. 
People come into the abundant life through me. They have abundant life. If they climb over the fence, they're robbers and they're thieves. They're not coming in through the accepted way, the proper way. Now, for Jesus Christ, that was literally, well, figuratively, he's laying down. No, literally, he's laying down. He is the gate. He's kind of saying that. But, but figuratively, he, he's kind of going somewhere different, right? Because he dies. He lays his life down literally. We're not called to do that. A lot of people, and there are a lot of religions that say martyrdom is the way to go, right? Go out and do something crazy and die for it. Then you're going to go straight to heaven. You get a whole bunch. Yeah, we're not going to go there. <laughs> don't, don't let your mind wander here. Um, Jesus lays his life down literally, but we, we're asked to lay our lives down in a different fashion. We're actually, Paul says, we're living sacrifices, that means we lay ourselves on God's altar, but we don't stay there. We don't take a nap. We get up, and, and we, we are what a sacrifice would normally have done, brought people close to Christ. As living sacrifices, you lay down your life by laying down your preferences, by laying down your ooh when you see somebody in the world that you think, I, I'm not, oh, I'm not like, you lay that down. You lay down your status symbols, you lay down your preferences for lifestyle choices when you see other people's lifestyle. You, you lay down all of this stuff so that people can come in and find God. If we don't lay down all of our preferences and our opinions about all these kind of things, what happens? The gate becomes a wall. And people are going to be forced to climb over the wall, and that's never a good thing. Christ wants them to come through the church. But the church needs to be accepting of them or they will never even approach the gate if we don't love them. And then there's this in verse 16. This is the one that rocked me. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Others. Any of you ever watched the Lost miniseries a few years back? I mean, a whole storyline was about the others. And it just displayed everybody's prejudices and everybody's weirdness whenever they are confronted with a group of people or somebody radically different from them. And it just goes through the, the, the whole kind of thing. Uh, there's people not like you and not like me. People with radically different preferences, prejudices, lifestyle choices, opinions. See, this is what the Jewish people never learned. Let me put it in a different way. Hit that next slide. This is what we all have to unlearn, and the Jews never unlearned, is this idea of exclusiveness. All that time that God was calling them their special people, they kind of got this kind of little ugly attitude like we're not only special, we're more special than anybody else. That's when things started getting ugly. Not that we're special because we're all special, but we're more special than everybody else. And it just kind of wrecked everything. It just kind of set everything off just a little bit. Just a little bit. The hardest thing to unlearn is exclusiveness. My, we had our daughter Amanda by birth, and she's eight years old. We, we tried and tried and tried and tried. Some of you have gone through this infertility, and after three or four years, we decided we're going to have to adopt. Um, we knew we couldn't adopt from, from you know, a little baby because just the money involved. So we decided we're going to go foster care, and we adopted a four-year-old. A lot of horrible things happened to her. She has no memory of it, but her hardwiring is just completely jacked. Um, and what, they, they, what I tell you all this because Amanda, she had gotten used to exclusivity. <laughs> she was the only daughter. She commanded Diane and I, right? She had us wrapped around her little finger, right? She was, and then Brittany comes along. 
I'll tell you what, this upset Amanda's boat in a big, big way. I mean, she would get to the point where she would, she would get something, send her back, just send her back. I know, and our hearts are breaking, kind of, because she kind of has... <laughs> that was difficult for her. She had to unlearn that she wasn't all... She, she's special, I mean, she knows that. But she wasn't more special than anybody else. And that... I mean, maybe you've had that, that experience. Unlearning exclusiveness. See, the Israelites believed that they were so special that all the other nations, at best, would become their slaves, and at worst, were slated for annihilation. I mean, that's literally what the Jewish people thought. Everyone will serve us, or God's just going to eliminate them. That's how valuable they are in God's eyes. But Jesus is saying, right, that there will come a day when all people will worship him as their savior. All people. And he'd been making this clear way back in the Old Testament. Check this out. This is in Isaiah, let's see, Isaiah chapter 49. It says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. That's an awful convoluted sentence. Let me show it to you in the message version. Hit that next slide there. But that's not a big enough job for my servant, right? To just go get the strays of Israel, right? To, uh, to merely, merely round up the strays of Israel. I have a much bigger job for you. You're not just going after Israel. You're going after the entire world. And then the next, this is the end of, go ahead. Uh, the end of verse six, this is back in the NIV. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. And again, the Jewish people had heard this over and over and over again, but they didn't understand how it would play out. The only way they could conceive of it playing out is them being the boss and everybody else underneath them. Like they would be giving light to the Gentiles because they would be their overlords, right? They, they just read it all wrong. They read it radically wrong. And what's interesting, the writer, John, makes it a point of saying that this statement was made during what we call Hanukkah, right? Y'all here remember a guy named Alexander the Great? Please raise your hand and say yes. I'm just going to be so disappointed in Washington um, education. Alexander the Great was a Greek, and he went through and conquered that, the whole area of the Middle East, the Eastern Mediterranean world, um, and at about, about 300-some years before Christ, and then about 166 B.C., the Maccabees rose up of Israel, and they kicked off. They fought the, the Maccabean War, and they kicked out the, 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 the Greeks, um, and they rededicated their temple because the, the, the leader, a guy named Epiphanes, had put a pig and slaughtered it on the on their altar, right? Just the worst thing you could do. So they rededicate the temple and lo and behold, they only had one day's worth of oil, but the dedication process would take eight days. And lo and behold, that one candle, that one little bit of oil lasted for eight days. And that's what they celebrate now with Hanukkah, the rededication, the celebration of lights. Okay. Right. This is when Jesus makes this statement. They're celebrating the fact that the candles had stayed lit and Christ says, I'm going to be the light of the entire world. I'm the light of the world. And the ends of the earth, I, 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 I've always thought about this geographically, that my salvation may reach to faraway places. And I've learned since then, I, I was radically wrong. I think this has more to do with peoples, different kinds of peoples, not necessarily nations and other places. I think God's vision, the mission of God is so much bigger than foreign missions, right? We have missions right here in our hometown. We have, a lot of us have missionary territories called our hearts. God's trying to do a work there. To the ends of the earth. 
And then there's this passage, partway through chapter 56, and I'm going to close this introductory. And I want to read this. Um, I'm going to read verse 8. Again, this is what the Jewish people should have known, that they weren't going to be the only ones, that, that in fact God was going to use them to bless everyone but they couldn't unlearn that exclusiveness, right? And, and another passage, they should have known this. Sovereign Lord declares this. This is in Isaiah chapter 56. He who gathers the ex exiles of Israel, he is the Lord. I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. But the whole, as I looked at all of chapter 56, and again, this, this was not me planning this is me, okay, uh, here's a passage. I, I wanted to have a list of passages, you know, that talked about um, the fact that there are others that God is pulling in, and, and, and I think God's Spirit brought me to chapter 56 based on what happened last week. I'm going to read chapter 56. This is going to be our, our, our prayer before we worship some more. Our, our music team is going to come back up. Um, this is kind of where I want you maybe even close your eyes during this portion, and, and I, want, I want you to ask yourselves um, Am I on the good or the bad side of all these gates and sheep and shepherds? And which, which am I? Do I have a hard heart? Do I have a servant's heart? And this is, this is the chapter that's really, really going to force you. It says this, Isaiah 56, I'm going to start in verse 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch... Complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. I want you to notice something the covenant. This was the gracious agreement that God had made with the Israelite people. Here are my rules, and when you break these rules, here's what you need to do. This passage is saying, I don't care who you are if you. Follow whatever agreement I have with you, a New Testament covenant, an old covenant. If you're faithful to that covenant, that's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to anything else. Hold fast to my agreement. And this was an Old Testament agreement. Verse 5, then I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, those who love me, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offering and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Again, again, I want to read this, and I need you to read this, not geographically, but even in their neighborhoods here in Washington. People, for all people. Verse 8, the sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the, ex the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. And I'm going to continue reading. Come, all you beasts of the field. Come and devour all of you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. See, the Pharisees, they knew this chapter. And as Jesus was talking about good and bad shepherds, they're doing the same thing y'all are doing right now. Am, am, I, am I a blind watchman? Where, where do we stand as a church? Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They're all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. 
The dogs are, have mighty appetites. They never have enough. And then this, I want to close with a word of prayer on this one. Verse 11, they're shepherds who lack understanding. You're a shepherd to the people around you. I'm, along with the leadership of the church, is a shepherd here. We're all, we're all shepherds. And I want you all to read this as a shepherd. They're all shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way and they seek their own gain. Let's bow your heads. Father, that we would not be that kind of shepherd. Father, from your word this morning, that somehow we would, we would make a conscious decision that, that we're going to go one route and we're going to stop going the other route. And that route is going to be difficult. It's going to require a tremendous amount of effort. And we don't have enough effort. As human beings, we simply don't have enough, Father, but you come alongside us and cover the gap. That's just what you do. So, Father, this morning as we examine our own lives and we, we ask ourselves, do we have a servant's heart or do we have some prejudices that, that stop us from having a servant's heart? Father, this morning that we would address those specific issues. For the, the, the people in this room would, would lay at your altar whatever it is that they've got an issue about, that they, they look at a certain person and their heart goes stone cold and they go, ooh. Father, that, we can't make that go away. Only you can do that. So, Father, this morning, by way of your word, by way of your Holy Spirit, that we would find a way, find a way to never say ooh again that we would never recoil at people radically different than us because we understand that, that your son died for them too. And if we think we're all that much better, we've got some serious issues. Serious issues, Father. Heal our hearts this morning. Reveal our hearts this morning and then heal them. That's the prayer. That's, that's the money one. Father, thank you. Father, as we continue to worship you, and this, this day gives over to a week. Father, don't let these words leave our hearts. Do we have a servant's heart or not? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Father. In his name I pray. Amen. So, hey, last week we talked about discovering your purpose, how you're put together, how you play a part in how the body is put together. Hit that slide up there. Let's bring that up there. Living on purpose and knowing your divine design. We looked at the idea that if you know your role and you know what role you play in the body of Christ, um, things are just going to be going better. You're, you're going to be able to discover where you fit, right, and how, how valuable um, you can be. And what we also discovered is that knowing your design is the fuel that motivates us. Yeah, that screen will come on in a minute. They probably ran out of power for whatever reason. Um, you need a clear focus on what matters most to fuel your motivations. I mean, we all know this. We, we looked at it last week. And, and we also looked at the idea that your problems get a little bit smaller if your purpose gets a little bit bigger, right? right? The real secret to solving problems is having something greater and more meaningful than any earthly problem. Hit one more. Bam, one more. Boom, there it is. Right, we're all on, on page here. So what I want to do this morning, I want to take what we learned last week, and I want to take it one step further this morning. So last week, the purpose of your life is to discover your gift, and this week, the meaning of your life is to give that gift away. Right? So we discover, and then we, we give it away. And in fact, this is what our children's department has been doing, teaching our children. Uh, show, go ahead and hit that next one there. 
Uh, I don't know if you can see this. Every fifth Sunday, all of the different age groups get together, and we're, we're working on them doing a giveaway, giving away their gift, doing a service project, doing something meaningful. They've gone to uh, first responders. They've gone to shut-ins. They've now went to, they filled up how many bags, 60 or 50, 60, 70 bags for all the teachers and all the staff at Carmichael Middle School. Um, so they, these, these, these young folks right here did, did all that work. Um, so if you see them, tell them, good job. You guys get it, right? Um, and again, as you look at these pictures, I want you to imagine sheep and their shepherds, right? And I want you to remember that the shepherds, they know these sheep by name. And you need to be praying for these shepherds to be back in those rooms when they could be sitting out here taking a nap. That's a big deal, right? They are serving. They are giving of themselves. They're giving away their gifts, by not sitting in here and listening to me, they're back there with the kids. Got to love that. Four times in the 10th chapter of John, Jesus speaks about laying his life down for those that he loves. And again, these, these kids laid down whatever they wanted to do that day, and they did a whole bunch of stuff for somebody else. And I'll bet you that spoke to them. Somehow God's spirit spoke to them and said, this, this is what matters. This is what matters, that you love other people. Now, again, I'm not, I, I don't know this for sure. Um, but in case anyone thought that martyrdom was the best way to follow Jesus, uh, that's a quick way to lose your army, by the way. Jesus shows them one more time, again, because they're thinking laying down their life, martyrdom. That's, I, guess we, we, that's a, I guess that's what we all have to do. And he's, he's saying, no, 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 no. He, 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 he knows what Paul's going to be saying later on. You aren't sacrifices. I want you to be living sacrifices. So he shows them one last time what he's talking about. I'm going to do this all from John chapter 13. If you got your Bibles, you can follow along. I won't be bouncing around. I almost promise you. So chapter 13, verse one, it says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his world, this world and go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And as we're going to find out this morning, loving them at the very end was going to take every ounce, every fiber of his being. He was truly going to have to be Christ-like at the end because his disciples end up being a whole bunch of not-so-faithful, not-so-dependable people. Just, just a horrible, horrible, horrible. I mean, the cross was just the beginning. The true heart of Jesus is going to be revealed even before the cross because he's going to have to deal with his this his disciples, and that's going to that's gonna try his Christ-likeness big, big time, right? Um, again, when we think of what Jesus might have done as, as we go through this, is this towel washing, this, this, this evening before the crucifixion, um, what he faced before the crucifixion, that's going to mark us. Hopefully, it's going to mark you this morning. For one thing, I don't know if you're aware of this, he was well aware that he was going to be betrayed, Right? He's about to give his life for this group of people, and he knows that one of them, this is in verse 2, right away. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. I think he also knew that Peter was going to betray him, even though Peter was going to go, no, not me, man. I'm your right-hand guy, right? A little girl says something to him, and Peter runs. <laughs> little girls are pretty powerful sometimes, right? My little girls scare me. Um, The rest of them would desert him at his hour of need. They would all run. And I think his father had told him all already that during your hour of need, son, they're all going to abandon you. 
They're all going to run. They're all going to claim, but they're all going to run. And for most people, I don't know about you, if I knew I was about to serve somebody and it was going to cost me greatly and I knew they were about to betray me, I think there would be a certain amount of bitterness and hatred. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that when you're about to help somebody and you know they're backstabbing you. It's very hard to do. The astounding thing about Jesus, though, the more men hurt him, the more love came out. (laughs) The more you squeeze Jesus, love just kept coming out. Hit that next slide there. Jesus met the greatest injury and the supreme disloyalty with the greatest humility and the supreme love. That, that, that is hard to do. And this is, this is him about to go to his own cross, right? Bitter feelings of bitterness. They're, they're right there. You know they're, they're just... And he's, nope, nope, nope. I, got, I, got, I, got a, I have a mission. I have something I need to do. That's not the only thing. First of all, I want you to give yourself a grade. Scale of 1 to 10. You're about to do something amazing for somebody and it's going to cost you greatly and you know they're going to turn around and backstab you. Will you continue to do it? Just give yourself a 1 to 10. You know your heart. And if you're really gutsy, show your spouse because they will tell you if you're right or wrong. It's just the way it works. Just the way it works. But that's not all. Not only were they going to abandon him. Check this out, verse 3, the very next verse. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew his hour of humiliation was up, but he also knew his hour of glory was up, was there. He was going to be returning to the Father and all of this earth stuff, all this human stuff. And you would think most people would be filled with pride, right? A certain amount of pride. (sighs) Knowledge and power and glory were all his. And here the Lord of all washed the disciples' feet, knowing that he had all power in his hands. Later on, we read he could have, when he's talking with with Pontius Pilate about to be crucified, he tells him, I I could call down an angel army, but I I don't need to. My my God is doing everything that needs to be done. Washed his disciples' feet. Again, go ahead, give yourself a grade. How would you do? How do you do? When you're the principal, when you're the owner of the business, when you're the boss, and the floors need to be mopped, how often are you the one? I'm just curious. Or do you honestly think, you know what? Somebody better get over here and clean up this mess. Not pointing fingers, just don't, don't point around the room either. But that's not all. That's not all. That's just two things. Verse 3, it gets worse. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Again, from such a lofty position. At some point, he must have gotten senioritis. I just just can't imagine. It's like, you know what? I'm, I'm done with them. Today, I get to go home. I get to go back to be with the Father. I don't have to be a human anymore. Oh, so he... 
I don't know if you've ever, again, if you've ever been in a position, I know we, we take mission trips I, as a youth pastor going down to Mexico all the time. And, and I, I promise you, every single time it's kind of similar. The whole group is a little apprehensive. Oh, we're going to be working. Uh, we gave up our spring break and, and we're going to be going down there. We're going to be helping people who are really struggling and, you know, and, and I can't wait to get back. And to a, to a certain extent, they're a little bit, you, you almost have to um, steal their electronics from them on the bus. You will not take this stuff, right? And because they're, they're so attached to it. And I'll tell you what happens every single week. And by the end of the week, by Friday or Saturday, they don't want to go home. In the midst of incredible pain and suffering, they're like, Jesus Christ, he, he could have just been excited. I get to go home now. But I think he was like our kids that when you're in the face of misery, you can't, you can't leave. You can't just walk away. Your, your heart stays there. Your body can walk away, but your heart stays there. Again, give yourself a grade. Depending on your position, I don't know what your position in, is your, in, in your life. Are you maybe getting ready to retire? Are you getting at some point where you're just going to go, you know what, I'm, I'm done. It's time for everyone else to do the work. It's not over. <laughs> it gets worse. This is a bad day for Jesus, I'll tell you what. If we turn to Luke's account of the last meal together, we find something incredibly tragic. Not only, not only is he fighting betrayal, not only is he fighting pride and senioritis, but he's got this issue too. Luke 22, verse 24. This is where I said I was going to stay in chapter 13 of John. I, okay, I lied to you. So anyway, chapter 22, verse 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Can you imagine? You're Jesus Christ. You're about to go to your crucifixion. People are depraved, betraying you left and right. And suddenly over here in the corner is a group of people who are arguing, who's the greatest? <laughs> And I, I, I've been with y'all for three years, and I, and I, and I can't imagine the, there's a little bit of panic in Jesus, right? They don't get it yet. They don't. So he's going to give them one last lesson. Regardless of what jerks they've been, loser friends, I'm, I'm going to show them. I'm going to demonstrate for them one more time a really bizarre kind of lesson. And they better get it this time. You think about it. Here's the situation. You kind of got to picture it. The 12 disciples in Jesus, they're all kind of equal. But when you have a house party, there's always a bowl and a towel at the front door. And somebody was designated, usually the lowest person in the room, the servant or the slave, to wash your feet when you came in. Why do you think now that nobody stood up to wash the... Nobody... None of the 12, I'm sure they were looking at each other, well, who's going to do it? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I'm one of the brothers of thunder, sons of thunder. <laughs> and they're all just kind of looking at each other. They're so caught up in their argument. Who's going to be greatest? Nobody. Nobody will do what somebody should have done. I mean, you can feel the tension in the room, right? This is, listen, I'm going I'm to come back now to John chapter 13, verse 4. In the midst of all this, and they're all looking at each other, right? So he got up from the meal, took, out his, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around. He didn't say a word. I mean, I, you can see him like, so nobody's going to do this. I'm going to do it. Now, again, you can feel the tension in the room. They're starting to point at each other. Maybe they're whispering, get up there, don't let him, 
don't you get your mother's and then it all just went to pieces from there they they started bringing each other's mother into it that's never good right verse 5 verse 5 here after that he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him and of course peter protests peter's got to say something he's peter And he refused to let Jesus wash his feet, but Jesus made it clear to them, if you want to be a part of my mission, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to submit to service. The gift of service. Don't let your pride get in the way, Peter. And that that was Peter's issue at this point. And after the confrontation with Peter, Jesus continues. This is in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, I don't think they did. As we look at their lives, it would take the Holy Spirit in the upper room sometime a little bit later for them to truly understand, for their eyes to be opened. But we're stuck in this situation. Verse 13, 14. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And in case they still didn't get it, he explains 15 and 16. I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you this. No servant is greater than his master, nor is the master greater than the one who sent me. Basically, he's looking at him saying, look, you all know I'm greater than you. I'm the son of God, right? You, you're, you're my disciples. If I was your teacher and you were my students, we're all in agreement that you're the students and I'm the teacher. And we're also all in agreement that the teacher is a little bit more special, in some ways, more honored than the student. And yet, I washed your feet. You all know that I'm the Son of God. And yet, I washed your feet. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? In the last verse. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Don't care how great you are, how high you are, you will be the greatest in the kingdom of come, in the kingdom to come, if you become a servant and a slave to all. And the disciples, this rattles people because it's incredibly hard to unlearn exclusiveness. Once you have C.S. Lewis said that's the that's the that's the that's the crux of Christianity. That's the tension of Christianity. Once you start living for Christ, your your wasteful habits kind of go away. And you begin to live a life and, and your life gets better. And pretty soon you, you have. Well, then he says, what do you do now? Now that you have, do you remember what it was like when you didn't have? C.S. Lewis said, that, that's, that's our battle, especially for North American Christians. We have. And have we, do we need to unlearn exclusivity? Do we need to unlearn that America is God's gift to the world. Maybe, maybe not. If you want to see your faith grow, you need to commit to serving. It's, that's it. I want to show you something from last week. Hit that next slide there. You have two ministries. You have two possible options here. I mean, if you've been listening to me and you just now kind of heard my little challenge there, yes, Pastor Jerry, I do need to commit. But where? You got two choices. You can serve wherever you feel like you're gifted. You know you're really good in that area. Or you can look around and say, where do they need help? And I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I don't care who I am. I'm going to step in. Where do they need help? 
Your service doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be dramatic, doesn't have to be profound. You just simply need to find a need or a hurt and fill the need and heal the hurt. That's it. Look around. Will we do what others are unwilling or unprepared or unable to do? We, as the Church of the Nazarene here in Richland, we're working with Carmichael Middle School. We're working with Upward Basketball with Mike. These are our two things that we got going right now that affect people outside our walls. And I want us, and I am really praying that we would just pour into these two activities because these are the two activities that are saying that eventually if something were to happen here, people would, ha would, they would conclude, wait, 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 wait. Where did Richland Church of Nazarene go? They had been serving a purpose here, right? They had out upward and they had been helping Carmichael and they were, they were making a difference. I want to tell you a very short story about Moses and we're closing. There is a legend in Jewish tradition. Why did God choose Moses to be the shepherd of his people? And in this story, Moses is tending the sheep of his, his father-in-law. One of the sheep runs off. And he eventually finds it. He goes off to get the sheep. Remember, the sheep aren't Moses's. They're his father-in-law's. And he goes and he finds the sheep. And he had gone down this crag and, and he had found some water. And he was drinking water and he was kind of stuck there. And so he picks up the sheep, and this is what he says. Hit that next slide. He said, I don't know. I did not know that you ran away because you were thirsty. That's the first thing. Now you must be weary. Notice something. The first thing that Moses did, he made an effort to understand why the sheep ran away. And I can promise you, people who do things that are hurtful, they usually have a reason. And if we just sit and listen carefully enough, we'll find out that reason. And we can fill that need and we can heal that hurt, but we need to listen first. We need to understand why. Don't just attack the action. Hurt people hurt people. Why are they hurting? And then the second thing he did, he just dealt with the situation at hand. You must be weary now. I'm going to carry you home. That's what we're called to do. We're not going to make a judgment on the situation. We can put a finger on it, but then we address the need. We feel the hurt. Heal the hurt, address the need. And God said, because you have shown pity in leading back one of a flock belonging to another man, you shall lead my flock, Israel. Moses was a hired hand that had the heart of a servant. So God made him a servant, a shepherd of the people. Here's our scriptural prayer, and we're going to close. This is, this is our prayer. It's been our prayer for the whole series. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I was once told this. If you want to find God, um, look in places where the lame are learning to walk. Go to places where the blind are learning to see, and you're going to find God there. And that happens in this place, and it happens wherever you go next. That's where God is, because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you go, go as, go as the temple. Go as the place that provides healing for hurts. 
bow your heads. Father, thank you for your apostle John, for what he recorded that your son said, the way he put it all together. Father, this morning, guard our hearts. They follow such crazy things. Father, guard our hearts. Don't let our hearts become cold. So easy in this world, so divided up. Father, help us remember that you died for every single person who would call you Lord. Not who would live a perfect life, but that would call you Lord and trust you. Because they have learned to not trust themselves. Father, that we would learn to be dependent on you. Stop trying to be independent of you. That's where we all go wrong. Father, help us to lean on you heavily. That's the way we honor you. Guard our hearts, Father. Give us a servant's heart. Give us a heart of Jesus. Open our eyes. Open the eyes of our heart, Father. Thank you for this church and what it's doing in this community. Thank you that you're out in front. Father, it scares me to death that I don't know where you're headed, but I'm okay with this. Got good people around me. Father, thank you for Richland Church of the Nazarene and what they're going to do in this city, what they've been doing in this city. Father, thank you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Folks, have a wonderful week. Go out and serve. Go out and love. Find a need, find a hurt.